I'll just pray before we, I read the Bible. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us all here together today. I pray that you'll be with David as he, read, he preaches his sermon today and that your spirit will speak to us um, what you want us to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. The reading today is from Acts 20, verses 17 to 38. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of, you, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see him, his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Please keep your Bibles open as we uh, come towards the end of our series on Acts. Uh, we'll have a topical next week on uh, the place of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Uh, in the Christian life next week. Uh, so let, let's uh, come to God's word in prayer. Lord, Father, we love you and we thank you so much that you continue to speak to us uh, through your word, by your spirit. And so we pray that as we come uh, together now this morning, uh, may you continue to help us uh, to know and love you more deeply as we open up scripture and bring it to bear in each other's lives. May I speak your word clearly and faithfully and may we be built up as a church, committed uh, to our Lord Jesus Christ as his bride. For we ask in his name. Amen. 
Well, I don't know what you did on your uh, wedding night, um, if you are married, but when Lee and Chen got married, they wanted to show their commitment, not to each other, not to their marriage, but to the communist government, to their government, to the Chinese government. You see, they were both civil servants, and when they got married, the Chinese government had just announced a campaign to encourage all Chinese nationals to copy out the communist party's constitution for 100 days. And so Lee and his wife spent their first night as a married couple doing just that, hidden behind closed doors in their hotel room. They were busy writing the communist constitution. That is all 11 chapters, 17,000 words. What a way to spend your first night together as a married couple. Uh, But they did it joyfully, uh, as you can see in the picture. They said that they were creating beautiful memories as they showed their support to their country's communist regime. They said they backed President uh, uh, Xi, I think that's how you say it, uh, Xi Jinping's administration and his campaign to highlight the party's political and social rules. For Li and his wife, commitment to President Xi and was a commitment to the words of the communist constitution. Now that's the sort of commitment Paul wants from us, uh, that we've seen Paul have in his own life, not to a government's constitution, but to the word of God. As we followed Paul's three missionary journeys over the past few weeks, he visited at least 14 different cities across Asia and Europe. And in each of these cities, he proclaimed the word of God. People were saved as they responded to the word of God. And churches were planted for the word of God was preached and proclaimed. And so we saw last week, as Luke summarized Paul's ministry in Ephesus, the impact that the word of God had in Ephesus and how the word of God continued to spread. So in Acts chapter 19, verse 20, please have your Bibles open and follow along. Acts chapter 19, verse 20. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. You see, Paul's ministry was a ministry of the word. And leading up to Acts chapter 20, Paul's been pioneering church planting by proclaiming the word. But after Acts chapter 20, he doesn't plant any more churches. And and we'll look at the rest of uh, uh, the book of Acts next year uh, uh, when we resume it. So for the rest of uh, the book of Acts, Paul doesn't pioneer any more church planting work. Instead, he's arrested in Jerusalem and he's shipped off to Rome where he'll meet with Caesar and eventually he will be beheaded. Uh, But on the way there, he stops up at Miletus, a coastal village about 50 kilometers uh, from Ephesus, south of Ephesus. And from there, he invites the elders of the church of Ephesus to meet with him. Uh, From verse 17, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. So he's en route to Jerusalem. But he stops over here to meet with the elders. Now Luke records for us at length Paul's major ministries in three major cities of the Roman Empire at the time. Uh, three major cities. One was of learning, the intellectual hub of the Roman Empire, which was Athens. Uh, we also saw that he went to Corinth, uh, the, the trade city, the commercial city of the Roman Empire. And then the most religious city being Ephesus that we looked at last week. So Luke records at length for us three major cities and Paul's time there. Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, learning, trade, religion. And now we also see that Paul reco- Luke records for us three major speeches 
that Paul gives to three different groups, three cities, three speeches. And the three speeches were addressed to three different major groups. In Acts chapter 14, it was a long speech that's been recorded for us addressed to Jews in Pisidian Antioch, persuading them that Jesus is indeed the Messiah of the Old Testament that they've been waiting for. The second major speech that Luke records for us is the speech that Paul gives to Gentiles, to the intellectuals in Athens, where Paul persuades the intellectual pagans with logic and reason of God's judgment to come. And in today's passage is the third of the three set of speeches that Luke records for us. So one to Jews, one to Gentiles, and now this one, a long speech to Christians, specifically to the elders of Ephesus, Christian leaders. So you've got Jews, Gentiles, and now all Christians. He knows that he won't see them again. And so this is a really important speech, a speech, a farewell speech, as it were, to remind them of his ministry and what he wants of them, his expectation of them. And so what we'll see is that just as Paul the Apostle has been so devoted and committed to Jesus, he also expects all Christians, and in particular, elders of churches, leaders of churches, to be equally committed to Jesus. And the commitment to Jesus takes the form of a commitment to the Word of God. And so in this speech that we'll see, we can break it down into two major sections. Paul's commitment to Jesus in his past ministries, and Paul's commitment to Jesus as he looks forward to his future ministry as he heads to Jerusalem. His past commitment to Jesus, his future commitment to Jesus. So we'll start with his past in verse 18. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came with the province, I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. He's saying to them, You know how I lived. You know what I'm going to tell you, because you've witnessed it yourself. You know that I was maligned and abused. You know how I loved you and loved the church. How I serve Jesus by proclaiming the gospel despite the persecution. You see, Paul was in prison, yet he sang songs of praise to God and kept on preaching the gospel. He was stoned even to the point of death, yet he got up and continued to preach the gospel. When he was abused in the synagogue, he went next door to the hall of Tyrannus and kept preaching the gospel. No matter what came Paul's way, he kept preaching the gospel, proclaiming Christ crucified because he wanted to save as many as possible. Now, a couple of years ago, Hurricane uh, Irma ripped through the Caribbean islands uh, south of the United States, and it was a deadly hurricane, uh, and it, its path was heading straight towards Florida in the States. And so to prepare for the worst, Florida's government, Rick Scott at that time, announced an emergency. In one of the largest mass evacuations ever in United States history, he orders 6.3 million Americans to evacuate, to save themselves from this devastating hurricane that will sweep through Florida. Now, even though the hurricane was fast approaching, the evacuation order was plastered all over the news. Governor Scott didn't take any chances. He still sent police officers to door knock 
from door to door, house to house, to warn every single person to get out while they can. You see, when lives are on the line, you want everyone, everywhere to hear the message, to save as many lives as possible, no matter how costly, how much effort it takes. And the urgency in which Governor Scott acted is the same kind of urgency that Paul acted in Ephesus, to save as many as possible, not by going from house to house to tell people, save yourself, flee the hurricane, but from going house to house to tell people, you can't save yourself. You must turn to God for salvation. And he did that by preaching the gospel. And so in verse 20, he preached anything that would be helpful to them. And in verse 20 again, he taught them publicly from house to house. Verse 21, he declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 25, he preached the kingdom to them. Verse 27, he proclaimed to them the whole will of God. And verse 31, he warned each of them night and day with tears. Do, do, you, do you sense that urgency in Paul to do all he can to save as many as possible? John Stott, uh, 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 in his commentary, he, he says this and he summarizes well. Paul shared all possible truth with all possible people in all possible ways. You see, Paul didn't go around preaching and teaching and talking about his hobby horses. He taught them the whole counsel of God. He didn't just declare to those who were similar to him the gospel of Jesus. He declared to everyone, Jews and Gentiles, anyone willing to hear, he showed no favoritism. Uh, Paul didn't just preach in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. He went from house to house. He, he made every effort to get the message to every single person so that he could save as many as possible. And, and notice in verse 21 that the word must... You, you see, you must turn to God in repentance and have faith in Jesus to be saved. They're two sides of the same coin. There's no optional extra. You, you, you can't save yourself like running away from a hurricane. You have to turn to God. And the way you turn to God is through repentance. And when you turn to God, you have faith in Jesus. Only he can save us by faith as we repent and turn back to him. It's not what our society likes to hear in our postmodern, post-truth world, where everything's relative. But the force of the hurricane's destruction is not up to opinion. It's a fact. Nor is the judgment of God. Salvation's only possible for those who turn to Him. So if you were in Florida, I'll call, I'll call you to evacuate or hide yourself in a bunker until it's all over. I'll do everything I can to warn you, just as Yes, as Scott did. But, but we're not in Florida. There's no hurricane here in Melbourne, but God's judgment will come here. And there is an urgency to turn to him in repentance today. For we don't know when Jesus will return, when God's judgment will fall upon us. So if you haven't already, please do turn to Jesus in repentance and in faith in him. Now Paul's commitment to Jesus wasn't just in his past, it's also in his future as he looks to Jerusalem. Verse 22, And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Now this is interesting, isn't it? Because you'll notice that the Spirit is referred to a number of times. On the one hand, the Spirit is compelling Paul to go to Jerusalem. 
Yet on the other hand, the, the same Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is also warning Paul, go to Jerusalem but also face hardship. Both are true. Go to Jerusalem, expect, expect hardship. So the question is, will Paul obey? Will Paul pick and choose what he will listen to and what he would clarify as, oh yeah, the Spirit is telling me this, but surely not that? Will he come up with some excuse so that he won't have to face prison again, hardship again, abuse again, being maligned again, so that he won't be persecuted again and stoned again? Well, Paul doesn't try to find an excuse. He willingly obeys because his commitment isn't to a comfortable life. His commitment in life is not to an easy life, a pleasurable life, a trouble-free life. His commitment to life is a life in obedience to Jesus. So verse 24, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now this is, this is an amazing verse, isn't it? Imagine Hurricane Irma is smashing through Miami and Governor Scott goes back knowing full well of the risks, of the dangers, just to help more people to be saved from the hurricane. But Paul wasn't on a, mission, a suicide mission. He was on Jesus' mission to continue to testify to the gospel, come what may, to save as many as possible. And we might be tempted to think, well, th th that's Paul, that's, he's an apostle, he's unique, he's special. That's why he can do that. But that's not for me. Well, it's true, Paul was unique. Paul was an apostle. He was one of the ones who, he was the one who was converted on the Damascus Road and not us. He's the one who literally saw the risen Lord Jesus, but not us. But look at what Jesus says to all his disciples including us, as he went to Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus says, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. When Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified for us, he told his disciples to deny themselves, to take up their cross daily, to follow Jesus. That's what it means. That's what it looks like. That's what's involved to follow Jesus. And now Paul heads to Jerusalem for the sake of the gospel. He does what Jesus calls him to do, to take up his cross and follow him. To endure the hardship for the sake of the gospel. And we might not be going to Jerusalem. We're going to the new creation. And Jesus expects us to deny ourselves, to carry our cross. Even if we're not disciple, uh, apostles, we are disciples. You see, friends, there aren't two levels of Christianity. There aren't two choices that you can choose between for which Christianity you want. You can't go to Woolworths and say, well, there's that type of Christianity and this type of Christianity. I, I think I might... Take this type of Christianity, the light version, the easier, the, the one that comes with less hardship, the one that costs less per gram, the discounted one. 
No, no, there are two choices. That there isn't a choice they can make between two types of Christianity. Those who suffer and those who don't. Those who deny themselves and take up their cross and those who don't. There's no light, cheap, no frills version of Christianity. There is the one type of Christianity and the Christianity that we are called to live is the one that requires us to deny ourselves and follow Christ. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his famous book, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When you become a Christian, you must expect to be inconvenienced for Jesus. You have to expect that you will live on less because you're so generous in your giving to the work of the gospel. You have to expect to be more tired and have less time because you're using your time to serve God and his church for the sake of the gospel. You have to expect to live a less comfortable life because you will endure hardships. I know that this has been the case for many of you. And I want to say good on you, be encouraged, press on, because you're living the life God's called you to live. You're living the life God's called you to live. And it's hard, it's costly, but it's necessary. It's what's expected of us Christians by our Lord Jesus. And in today's passage, we see it exemplified in our apostle and his life of ministry. You see, just as Paul expects the future to be tough for him, he also expects, he also knows that the future will be tough for the elders of Ephesus and of you and me. That's why he's telling us about his ministry and what it's been like for him. He isn't rehearsing it for old time's sake. He's showing them the kind of disciples they should be. Because as leaders in the church, they have a responsibility to faithfully teach the gospel, to care for God's sheep, and to teach against heresy. Verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. It's a sad reality, isn't it? That opposition to the gospel is not just what Paul experienced from those outside the church. Opposition to the gospel will come from within the church. Do you notice that from their own number? He's speaking to elders and he's saying, some of you will oppose the gospel. This would have been so nerve-wracking for them. Feelings of discouragement and inadequacy could creep in. And worse still, Paul's saying, I'm not going to be there when this happens. I'm not going to be there when there's confrontation. And when some of you guys, some of you will distort the truth of the gospel. I'm not going to be there to adjudicate. This is a nerve-wracking time for the small young church in Ephesus. 
And so, but Paul assures them, verse 32, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You see, Paul is not saying, don't worry, just remember me or look at me. No, he's saying, I'm committing you to God. You're God's. You're not mine. You're God's. And you have his word. That's all you need. You have God and you have his word. That's all you need. You're not going to be alone. God's going to be with you. His word of grace is going to remain with you. You see, the Ephesian church can be confident even if their leader has to leave and they'll never see him again. They'll never hear from him again. They won't be able to pick up the phone and, and dial his number and have a good old yarn in the middle of the night because they can trust in God. Paul's been pointing them to God and his word. God and his word will provide them with the comfort they need. God and his word will provide them with the assurance and guidance they need. Ultimately, they don't need Paul. They need God and his word. And that's what we have. No matter how difficult things get, we can always always rely on God and his word. That's why the heart and ministry of our ministry and of our church is the word of God. So on Sundays, our services revolve around the reading and the hearing of God's word. We encourage everyone to have their Bibles open as we preach so that you will go to God's word and see for yourself from God's word who will give you comfort, who will give you grace. That's why we're committed to expository preaching, preaching through the books of the Bible so that we don't preach our hobby horses, but the whole counsel of God. And in our DTs, our gatherings, aren't social events, though the social elements are great and, and wonderful, but the heart of of our time together is the studying of God's word, bringing it to bear on each other's lives, praying for another so that we might find comfort in God's word and that we might live in obedience to God's word. And so as we read God's word and spend time with God ourselves during the week, we, we remind ourselves that we don't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In Paul's words, it's the word of God which can build us up. It's the word of God which can give us an inheritance amongst those who are sanctified. And just in case anyone thought Paul's commitment to Jesus was for personal gain, far from it. Here again, he defends himself and his ministry so that there is no doubt that the word he preached is the word of God. So from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we know that Paul had been asking for money from the churches he planted. And the money he's been asking these churches to give him wasn't for himself, but was so that he could give it to the poor in Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem, give me money so that we can care for the poor in Jerusalem. And when he goes there, he hands the money over to the church in Jerusalem. And since there's, no, uh, there's money to be made in religion, like Demetrius in Acts chapter 19, or from super apostles in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul wants to make clear that he's doing ministry, he's proclaiming the gospel, not for money. That's not the sort of person he is, but it's for God. So verse 33, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. 
When Paul was in Corinth, he worked as a tent maker six days a week so that he could preach the gospel on the Sabbath and offer it free of charge. This passage is saturated with Paul's commitment to Jesus. He was willing to deny himself to follow Jesus, sacrifice his comfort for the sake of the gospel, suffer and persevere so that others might hear, to save as many as possible, work hard and never cease serving to make Jesus known. Paul's life wasn't about him. It was all about Jesus. And so before he leaves, he prays for them. Verse 36, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Lee and his wife are committed to President Xie and the Communist Party, and they showed their commitment by writing the Communist Constitution on their wedding night. For them, it created beautiful memories, and they did so joyfully. You can see it in their picture. As Christians, we live our lives committed to Jesus. Not by writing out the words of the Bible, though that is a helpful exercise and a good thing to do. We express our commitment to Jesus by believing in his word and living out his word. And we do so joyfully, don't we? Even more so than this couple in the school. Uh, in the picture. You see, we're a Christian and we're a Christian church, then we must be absolutely committed to the Word of God. And that means we don't live for ease and comfort. We don't live for our ambitions and our desires. We don't live to please ourselves and to meet our goals. But we live for Jesus. We commit ourselves to the Word of God knowing that his word keeps us safe for the day of Christ, come what may. Amen.